0: Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You have your Bibles this morning, and you want to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians three, eighteen through chapter 4, verse 1. So today we've gotten to the point in Colossians we're going through a uh, part where he talks about the family, as the, the heading would, would say Rules for Christian Households. And here's one of the things, as you've noticed, we've gone through the book of Colossians, we've gone through several other books where we seek to go through essentially the whole book, um, where we read different portions and go through it. One of the benefits for that is that at times you come to passages that if you're just picking what you want to preach on, you maybe skip. Um, maybe they're a little uncomfortable. And this is a passage that I know for sure, for some people, causes tension for them. Uh, so here's the thing that I want us to remember as we go through this. And one of the things about this is we know that, that uh, this is something that has been taught in different places. So we're going to read Colossians, but as we go through this, we're also going to look toward Ephesians, where there's a very similar passage that even adds to some of this and, and kind of gives us a, a comprehensive perspective. But here's the thing we have to remember. Uh, when we come to Scripture, we, we hold to and we believe that there is a biblical authority that God. This is God's word, and so we want to figure out what it says and what it means for us. And so there's times where I'm sure each and every one of you, I, I hope at least, have come to something in Scripture, and you've been like, "That makes me a little uncomfortable." And we figure out what it's saying to us and how we need to live based off what it's saying to us. Uh, but uh, but let's let's go to the Lord. Let's go to this passage, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Starting in verse eighteen Wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have also have a master in heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that we can gather together, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would work within each of our hearts to remove any distractions, any preconceived ideas that we might have about uh, what we think, Lord, and just that we would focus on what You were saying to us this morning, that You would help us to see what Your will is for us, what Your will is for the family, and how You would call us to follow You with our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we come to this passage, we're, we're talking about, we see this idea of the family, how people ought to react and how they ought to interact in a Christian family, there's rules for husbands and wives, there's rules for children, there's rules for uh, something that's a little different than what we have today, bond servants and masters, but we'll get to that in the future. The first place that we see is husbands and wives. We see husbands and wives, and as I mentioned, this passage this is almost the uh, abbreviated version of what we see in Ephesians. So as we go through this, we're going to look at what Ephesians is saying as well, so we can have a, a fully informed view on this. So the first thing that we see, the first couple words, and that's the words that are most often controversial in this passage. Wives submit to your husbands. So what does Ephesians five, twenty two through twenty-four say? Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Something that people push back on. There are many people that um, would, would completely want to disregard this passage. But what does it mean? What does biblical submission mean? What does it mean when the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands? I want to start with some things that it doesn't mean. I think that's often where people have the most reactions. They have a view in their head of what biblical submission is that is not biblical. Submission does not mean that the wife is inferior to the man. A wife submitting to her husband does not mean that the wife is less than the husband. They are equal in the eyes of God. There is complete equality between a husband and wife. It does not mean that the wife is a slave to her husband. This is what a lot of people think of is these ideas or these portrayals where wives are all only just waiting hand and foot, existing only for their husbands. That's not biblical submission. It's not this idea of everything that happens, the wife must simply just... Be, be someone that's, in the, that's seen and not heard, right? These ideas that you've, you've seen portrayed in society at times or, or people speak against. That's not what the Bible is talking about. So what does submission mean? It means that God has given an order to the family. Everywhere in your life that you go and everywhere that exists, there are structures and there are places where there's levels of authority that exist. Every person in here likely does submit or has submitted in their life. Because if you go to work, there is someone that you submit to. There is someone that has an authority. That doesn't mean you're inferior to that person, but that means that as you work alongside them, when push comes to shove, you have to look at what the order and the structure are. And in this word in particular in, in, in the Bible, the, word, the place it was most commonly used was in military structures and in submitting to authorities that exist. So what does it mean in the family? It means that God has given and God is, has laid out that a husband should be the leader of a family. This does not mean that it's the, the husband's word is law. There's no questioning it. But it means that the wife does not seek to cast down her husband. She respects him and they work together. So a wife submits to or respects her husband by allowing him to lead. and here's what I want you to understand is the opposite is what makes this clear, as opposed to forcing him to follow. The husband also shouldn't be forcing things, but the allowing him to lead, partnering with him in the process. If you look through scripture and Sarah is given it as an example of Biblical submission to Abraham. But if you look through that, that book, she's talking to him. She's giving him advice. She's giving him counsel. She partners with the husband in the process of the family as opposed to being disengaged with the life of the family. She also does it by supporting and challenging him. Supporting him as he leads, but also challenging him to make sure that things are Right? Like I said, submission is not blind obedience. But it's walking within God's will for the family. And here's the thing. I don't ultimately think that many wives are actually opposed to biblical submission. They are opposed to the distortion of submission that the world has portrayed to it to be. And as well as sometimes, we have to admit and recognize that sometimes churches portray it that way as well. But respecting... Partnering with and following a man that is chasing after God is not an objectionable command. Saying that you should follow a man and you should partner with him, you should support them and work toward a common goal. I don't think that's very objectionable. This is why it's so important that you consider who you marry. You should not marry someone that you're not willing to submit to. If they aren't worthy of of your respect, if they aren't worthy of these things, you should not marry that person. And here's the thing. I don't often think that that's the problem. I think that gets made out to be the problem, that wives don't submit to husbands. I don't think that's the problem. Because here's the part that often gets left out, and here's where I'm going to get a little bit more serious about it. Husbands love your wives. Because I'm a man, I feel like I can speak more to this one. Here we go to Ephesians 5:25 through 30 Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And I want this to be clear. This is not just an idea of saying, I love my wife. It is an active engagement in how you live in loving your wife. The example that is given of how husbands should love their wives is as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for her. He gave his life. He gave his life to build her up, to, to nourish her, to protect her, to do all of these things. And again, we see the sinful distortion of how marriage is presented to men. Right? There's this idea that, oh, when you, marry, you get married, it's like, you're, it's like a jail sentence or this idea of right, you, wives are often called the old ball and chain. What does that mean? It's that you think about jails in the in the old days where they would have an ankle attachment to you with a chain and a heavy ball so you couldn't escape. There are people that act as though their marriage is this thing that ties them down. If they would and they'd be so much happier if they weren't married. Husbands, love your wives. Marriage is a gift from God. And this means that husbands love their wives by sacrificing for them. Christ gave Himself for the church. This means that husbands are supposed to sacrifice for their wife, for their family, as opposed to sacrificing them. When we think about people's lives, when we think about marriages that struggle, there are times where Husbands might sacrifice their family in pursuit of other things. Their career, whatever it may be. Husbands sacrifice for their wives, for their families, as opposed to sacrificing them. They should care for them as opposed to neglecting them. Protect them as opposed to harming them and nourishing them as opposed to letting them wither. This is the responsibility of the husband as they are engaged in a biblical marriage. And this is why I, I don't think men do this very well. Because so often when people read this passage, the only thing growing up that I heard people not like was wives submit to your husbands. And that's the part that gets focused on. But you know who's easy to submit to? A husband who loves their wife because they know that that's a person they want to follow. They know that's a person that has their good in mind. The problem is not only that uh, that many men are not worthy of submitting to, and they don't lead in any distinguishable way. In the vast majority of cases from my experience growing up in church my whole life, the ones who don't attend church for, for no reason. I'm not saying because of work. I'm not saying because of other commitments they, they have to miss a Sunday. The ones who stay home are men. The ones who bring their children alone while their husband's doing something, well, it's their husband. Usually it's the husband doing something else. Who's leading? Where's the leadership of that man? Where's the leadership of the man saying, I value my relationship with Christ and I want to invest in my wife. I want to invest in my family. So I'm going to make sure that we get to church. I'm going to make sure that I build this up. It's been absent in many ways. Oftentimes when people would step up in the church to serve too often, it's women alone to step up, willing to serve, willing to give their time, willing to lead in the church in their faith because the men aren't there. Men have to be people who are following after Christ. So here's where we sum it up. Ephesians 5.33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The reality is that many marriages fail. We know that in America. I think it's 41% of first marriages end in divorce. And I say first marriages because once you go past the first one, every subsequent marriage is more likely to end in divorce. It's a high rate. And oftentimes, it's not just because one person's unhappy. Both people tend to be unhappy in these situations. And I think that God is getting at something here with the way this is set up that men, I, I believe, as a generality feel very fulfilled in their marriage when they feel respected. They feel like their wife values them. They feel like their wife trusts them. They, They feel respected. And wives, I think, long for the feeling of love and support and being cared for by their husband. But what happens most often is that people are selfish in marriage rather than selfless. Because it's really easy to say, well, I don't think my wife respects me enough. And it's really easy to say, I don't think my husband loves me enough. But you know what's hard to say? I need to do a better job loving my wife. I need to do a better job respecting my husband. A marriage succeeds when both people are focused on being the best spouse for the other. When both people look at what their biblical commands are to do and seek to do those things regardless of of the state of the other person. Now hear me on this, because there are situations that, that, I'm ta- that can be talked about that are far beyond this. Not only is, is a husband maybe not living up to their, their capacity, but they're being harmful. I'm not talking about those situations right now. But we, as husbands and, and wives, should seek to be the best husband or wife we can, not putting that on the other person, expecting them to be something better for us. So husbands should seek to be someone that's worthy of respect. All of Scripture, and especially Proverbs, is filled about with what it means to be a man of God. The righteous live with this way, the wicked live this way. All of those things are what a man that's worthy of respect should take into account. Here's one snippet from Proverbs 15, 16-19. Better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where there is love than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. When you read through Proverbs, you're you're very likely to find something in there that kind of sticks you a little bit. Right In here we have someone that's wealthy but doesn't fear God. That exists in this world. There are men who have great worldly possession but don't follow God. You're missing it according to this. There's people that have great dinner but it's a strife, hatred-filled environment. It's better to have very little and have love. Hot-tempered man. That's something that, that, we, can, that we can acknowledge, right? It's easy to have... Issues with being frustrated. We're working hard. You know the easiest way to get a husband to do something? I've always seen that. a kind of a joke, right? If a wife wants a husband to get a job done, well, I'll just call my dad. He'll come do it. That gets at the heart of this passage. Why? And, and I'm not saying you should do that. Why does it get at the heart of this? Because you're saying... I want to follow you, I want to respect you, but you're not getting it done, so I'm going to look to another man to do what I'm asking you to do. That's kind of what this thing you shouldn't do. But what also should the man do? Follow, should, should serve, should be there. So here's the thing, when you aren't someone who's living in a respectable way, how can you expect your wife to respect you? In the same way, wives should seek to be someone that is easy to love. We've all met people that are difficult to get along with. And the first place you should seek to be easy to get along with is in your marriage. I I came across this passage and Jade and I were laughing about it because it's kind of funny, I think. But Proverbs 21, 9 says this, it's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. I like the way the NLT says it a little bit better. It says that it's better to live in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a beautiful house. And I asked her if I could tell you this, because it was funny. It was right after I'd found this passage. And we were just kind of bickering one day as we were putting the kids to bed. And uh, where our kids' bedrooms are is where our attics are. And so we're just kind of fussing back and forth. And, and I just go over to the door, and I start to open it, and I just look at her. And she just says, well, go on in there. Then. <laughs> but if you want, in the same way that if a husband wants to be respected, he should be respectable, if a wife wants to experience the love that this is talking about, Her focus shouldn't be on why doesn't he love me. It should focus on being someone that isn't quarrelsome. It is easy to love. And in the same way, husbands, you should love your wives when they're unlovable. Because there's going to be dark days in your marriage. But even when it's hard, husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because the greatest example of that, how did Christ love the church? What was the state of the church while you were still sinners? Christ died for you. So while your wife is at her lowest point, you love her. When she doesn't respect you like she should biblically, you love her. In the same way, wives respect your husbands when they aren't respectable. When you submit in these circumstances, you remind him of who he should be and, this is the important part, you honor the Lord. And one thing about this, it's so important who you marry because... You shouldn't marry someone you that's not going to lead well, but it happens. And here's what Peter says about this. First Peter 3, 1-2 through 2, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they, do, if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Because when a husband loves their wife when they're unlovable, it reminds them of who they are in Christ. Even when you're in this place, I'm going to love you and I'm going to help you from here. And when the husband is respected by the wife, even when he's being unrespectable, he's reminded of who he's supposed to be in Christ and reminded of how he ought to live because of the way the wife is respecting and loving him. So in this, communication is key. Again, submission doesn't mean you, you are someone who's seen and not heard. It means you talk with one another. You are a partnership. And that's part of where marriage comes from. I knew when I was called to ministry at a young age that whoever I married, we were going to have to be on the same page. Because submission doesn't mean a wife doesn't have a career. It just means that the, as, as a family, you work together. I, I knew people that there had totally different career ideas. One was going to be traveling everywhere. One was going to have to be f- firmly planted. Guess what? They were wise in not pursuing that marriage. In ending it before it was a marriage. Because if you don't think about these things, what happens? Resentment. So communication is key. For a husband, I feel respected when you do these things. I feel disrespected when you do these things. In a loving way, a kind way. Or for a wife, I feel loved when you do these things. I don't feel loved when you do these things. And above this, you have to remember, you are on the same team. Your family, your marriage exists to honor God, and you're on the same team, working toward the same goals. And for people who are in a situation before this, if you're not ready to play the role that you're called to in marriage, if you're not ready to give yourself to another person, you shouldn't be married. That's not a shameful thing. In our world, people kind of act like life begins when marriage begins, but the Apostle Paul says, if you don't feel like you have to get married, don't do it. You can serve God better. Because when you get married, you've got to think about your wife. You've got to think about your husband. That's how it works. It's another... But it, marriage does not... Because marriage, marriage does restrict you. It changes your life. It does give you more responsibility. But a biblical marriage will nourish you, and a biblical marriage will be a source of God's grace and blessing... In your life, and it's within this that this biblical marriage, where children should be raised. So we see also him talk about children and parents in this passage. Ephesians also talks about it six one through four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not chil- provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is pretty clear-cut for children. If you're a child in this room, you are, your parents are the God-given authority over you, especially while you're at home. I think that this extends beyond that. You're supposed to have a respectful relationship with your parents, but you should remember in most cases that your parents have your best in mind. Rules don't exist to hurt you, but to protect you and your obedience to your parents honors God. And I think in the same way where he said that a, a wife that submits to an unbelieving husband can lead them to the Lord, children that submit to unbelieving parents can lead them to the Lord. I've, I've heard so many stories of that where parents came to church and said, I wanted to see why my son's acting so different. He used to be the most disrespectful, disrespectful kid, but since he came to church, since he became to believe in God, I see a change, and I want to know what it's about. Your obedience honors God. Then we also see fathers do not provoke your children. Again, this is one of those things where children submit to your parents, but also fathers don't provoke your children. There's there's been, I've always heard stories of fathers that ruled with an iron fist, and that's not really a biblical example of parenting. Fathers should be respected by their children, but this respect should not come through fear of retribution. It should come because they know that they love them and they have their best. In mind, Fathers should love and guide their children and mothers as well. And there's the important part we get to. Bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the stewardship that has been given to parents. This is what God has entrusted you with. Your children do not belong to you. They belong to the Lord. We're called to raise them in a way where they will learn to follow him faithfully. Because here's what I want to ask you for yourself. What is your greatest desire for your children? What is your greatest desire for your children? It should be that they would know and follow the Lord, that they would be saved and follow the Lord. And when you grow old and you you near the end of your life, you're not going to be worried about the total net worth of your children. You want them to be taken care of, but I think if you raise them to follow the Lord that they will have a a, a disciplined and, and structured life. You're not going to be worried about the total net worth of your children. You're not going to be worried about their academic achievements. You're not going to be worried about how well they did in sports. You're not going to be worried about their hobbies. But you will be concerned with what kind of people they are. You will be concerned about whether they know the Lord. There are so many people That as they grow older and their children leave home, their struggle is I really wish my kids would come back to church. I really wish my kids would come back to church. In in raising your kids to know the Lord, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, is not a guarantee that they will follow God. However, we should not be surprised when children grow up not. Being made where their, where their faith is not made a priority in the home they grow up in, we should not be f- surprised that when they grow older they don't make their faith a priority. If you grow up in a home where school, academics, sports, hobbies, whatever, is the focus of, of the family's life, the child's life, all through 18 years of development, and then they leave, It takes an act of God intervening for that person to follow him. That's not raising them to value God. It's not making it a priority. It's what we have to do if we want to raise children that follow him. I hope my kids have great lives. I hope they're successful. I hope all of these things. But more than anything, I want them to know the Lord and to follow him with their lives. And we come to the last section of this passage, bondservants and masters. Ephesians 6, 5-9. through Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both master and yours, both their master and yours, is in heaven. There is no partiality with him. So we come to this. The, the word that they use here is bond servants, but if you look at, at the language, it's the word that in other places, is translated as slaves. And so we have to acknowledge that we have to look through this. And, and this slavery, we have to understand is different than the institution that we are familiar with as slavery, And it's also not an endorsement of this institution by Paul. He's not saying this is the way things should be, but he's talking to people who find themselves in those situations. And so this is not something that exists today, thankfully, in our country. This does not exist, and it shouldn't. But how can we learn, what can we learn from this passage? A a way to apply it today would be those who have authority and those who are under authority. And so what would that look like? Most often this is applied to employers and employees. So if you are under authority, what are you supposed to do? Work with a sincere heart as you would to Christ. Not with eye service, not people pleasers, but as those under the authority of Christ, doing His will from the heart. As if you work for the Lord and not for man. One of the jobs that I had when I was going through college one summer was I worked for a painting company. And so when I took the job, I assumed, oh, I'm going to go in people's houses and I'm going to learn to paint and I'm going to paint these houses. That was not what I did. Um... That was what the really good painters did because one person could paint a whole house in a day. I was the person that would go to all of these industrial places and we would paint silos that were 80 feet tall and have to go up on top of them and do all these things because it was a little harder to mess up because the big surface didn't have to be quite as clean. That was not fun work. And do you know what in those situations a lot of times is easy to do? When the boss isn't looking, you take a little extra break, Right? That's what this is talking about. You don't work for eye service. You don't work, probably a better example, because I did try to do a good job in that job. I tried to work hard. But when I was a wrestler, I don't know if any of you ever wrestled or were around, it is a very difficult sport. And at the end of wrestling practice, we would have 10 minutes of conditioning that felt like two hours. And so we had to do, one in particular, was you had to do, a, you had to do push-ups. It would be like up, down, and then they would say halfway and hold it. And what every, just about every single person there did was when the coach was looking the other way, you're on your belly. He starts turning around, you back up. And then he turns around, you're on your belly. Because it is hard. Time, at times, life's going to be hard. But you're not working to please people. You're working to please God if you're under authority. And if you have authority, the Bible's very clear to remember that no matter who you're working with, no matter how superior or high you may be, no matter how highly regarded you may be by people, you and the people under you have one person, one above them, God, who has authority over all. And with Him, there's no partiality. So treat people with respect. So we come to the end of this, I want to challenge you to look at your life I want you to look at your family, at your marriage, if you're not married, if you're a child or wherever you may be, where does this passage apply to you? And as we do every week, the challenge I want you to answer is, what is God calling me to do? Because here's what I'm telling you. If you're sitting there and you're like, I really hope my wife heard this sermon. I really hope my husband heard this sermon. I really hope my children heard this sermon. You're missing it. Because God is not concerned with how well you can guilt someone else into doing what you want them to do. God is concerned with your heart and with how you follow Him and whether you are being obedient. And the secret to it all, if you will be who you're supposed to be, it will lead others to be who they're supposed to be. But you do it to obey God. All of these things, I want, I want to close with this part of it, all of these things apply to those who are in Christ. This past Wednesday night with the youth we went through and we talked about where are you in your relationship with God. Because there's we've, we shared this statistic not long ago, over half of the country believes that the way that you go to heaven is that you just try to live a good life. You try to be a good person. The Bible is so clear That by our own good deeds, by our own good effort, no one will come to salvation. That we need Christ to save us. And so I want to challenge you where are you in your relationship with God? Do you believe there is a God? Like, just in a general statement, do you believe there is a God? Do you believe in the God of the Bible? Do you know that you are a sinner that needs salvation, that you can't earn your salvation? If you know that, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins so that you might be saved? If you believe that, have you done anything about it? Have you repented of your sin? Have you asked Him to save you, to forgive you so that you can follow Him more faithfully? If you've done that, have you shared that with people? Because that's part of the, the process is to walk together with the church. Have you followed in obedience and baptism? The Bible's pretty clear that we are baptized after we believe. That was part of my life. As I grew up in a a church and I, I got saved, I was like, why haven't I been baptized? Everything in Scripture, it was very clear to me, shows that. It doesn't save you, but it's an act of obedience. And are you walking with Him faithfully? Because until you've been saved, until you are following Him, all of this stuff, it doesn't matter how hard you try to be a good husband, how hard you try to be a good wife, how hard you try to be a good parent. If you haven't been saved by Christ, those are just motions. You need his redemptive power in your life. And then the power of the Holy Spirit will enable you to be who God calls you to be. And so during this time, I would challenge you. I would invite you to look at where you are in your relationship with God. What does this passage say to you about what you need to do in your life? What is, where are you in your relationship? Do you know him this morning? If you don't, today is the day to follow him in obedience, to take the next step in obedience in your faith. And as Becky comes, I want to invite you to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would convict each of us to to follow you faithfully. Lord, that that our hearts would be seeking after following your will for our lives and and doing what you want for us. That you would help us to see what you want. That you would help us to follow you faithfully. God, I pray that if there are any here who don't know you, that today would be the day that would come to you in salvation. God, I pray that wherever we might be, that where each of us might be, that you would show us what the next step for us is and that we would be faithful in taking that step today. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.